Well, we are trusting, we are hoping that you've had an amazing time in God's presence so far. And we want to continue to have that time in His presence by allowing His Word, His spoken, inspired Word, to make a difference in our life, to make an impact, and, and maybe to challenge us on some things, or affirm us on some things, or encourage us in some areas. So like I've mentioned, we're starting a brand new series, and it's going to see us well into the fall. Um, and I'm looking forward to this time, because we're going to actually be focusing on the actual words of Jesus Christ himself. See, what I've observed, what I've noticed just in life experience is that when struggles or when grief opens a door in our lives, it always leaves the door open for growth. That there's this opportunity for spiritual maturity that comes when life is hard. And we understand that in the, in the world that we live in, it's a struggle. It's a struggle in a lot of different ways. Take out our faith and just put that on the side for now. It is a struggle of just what goes on in our world. The, the, the anger, the, the, uh, the built-up tensions, the division, the, it, it, it happens and it's a struggle. And then put in our faith, and it just seems it magnifies our struggles. And I firmly believe that even when those doors are open, there's a door that's left open for the opportunity for us to grow, for us to mature in our faith when our journey becomes hard. And being aware of that, we're beginning this brand new series. And it's a series for this first section, and it's called The Way Forward. Because we need to move forward in our lives. We need to move forward as followers of Jesus. We need to move forward as a church body. And how do we do that? In a world that we live in with the struggles that we encounter. So here's the plan. We're going to go verse by verse from John 14 through 17. These are the words of Jesus that we're going to be looking at. And if the words of Jesus can't motivate you and inspire you and challenge you to move forward in your life, I don't know what else can. There's no more powerful words than Jesus' own words. And we're going to be looking at them. And, he are, and he's speaking these words to his closest followers. But the reason why I want to, us to study this passage well, first, let me just give you the context. And as I do that, I think you might understand of why I want us to go through this. John 14, it begins what is, what is known as the final discourse of Jesus. It's also sometimes called the upper room discourse. There are a handful of discourses of Jesus that you can find in the Gospels. But this one that, we are, that we're going to be looking at here in John, it's different than all the other ones. And the difference is this, this discourse that we're about to study is not given to a large crowd. 
All of his other discourses, it's given to a large crowd. This is not. It's not made in some public setting, in some public square at all. Instead, this is one of his longest, his longest discourse, and it certainly is his most personal as well. Jesus knows he doesn't have very much time left, and he knows that the disciples are filled with a lot of uncertainty. He knows that there are going to be challenging days ahead for them, and it's going to feel overwhelming to them. And knowing that, he wants to prepare them for that journey. He wants to prepare them for that struggle. So I want us to study this together. Because I think some of the very same things that he says here to his disciples are some of the very same things that he would say to you today. He wanted his followers, his closest disciples, to have confidence and the courage to stay on mission. So, Jesus, he's not speaking to big crowds here. This is taking place in the upper room. And you know the scene, right? Picture it in your mind. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. Judas has left to betray him. And Jesus now looks around the table. And he sees these disciples who left everything to follow him. Over the last few years, they had gone everywhere that he went. But it's hard in this moment because he's getting ready to go somewhere that they can't follow, at least not yet. So this final discourse begins in chapter 14. But to understand the tone, to understand the emotion of this discourse, you just have to pay attention to the conversation that actually leads up to it. So before we dive into John 14, let's first take a few steps back and go into John 13. Jesus is speaking to his disciples again with great affection. And we start seeing him say this in John 13, starting in verse 33. He says this. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. So Jesus is talking to his disciples like a parent would talk to a child before leaving for a long road trip. And Jesus seems to anticipate their questions here. And their questions would be very similar probably to a child who might ask a parent who's going away. It could be like a business trip or going away um, for a bit. Um, or even both parents going away and leaving their teenage kids home and, and just saying some things to them. Like, you know, some of the questions a small child might ask a parent, well, can I go with you? I just want to be with you. Can I go with you? And the disciples want to know that because that was part of the agreement. Like, we left everything to follow you, and wherever you go, we get to go. Like, that was the agreement, Jesus. So Jesus anticipates the question, and he says, where I'm going, you can't come. Where I'm going, you can't come. But he's going to help prepare them 
for what they need to be about while he's gone. And he continues to say this to them in verse 34. He says, a new command I give you. Now notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, I'm giving you this new suggestion. Or I'm giving you this new forward-thinking idea. Or I'm giving you this new recommendation. No. He says, this is a new command. It wasn't really a new command, right? The Bible definitely teaches this idea of loving your neighbor. So what makes it so new? Well, here's what it makes it new. He says, a new command I give you. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. That Jesus with his life gives us this whole new way of living out that kind of love. It's not the what of the command that's new, it's the how of it. Because this command of love has always been around, but it's how Jesus wants us to do that, which is new. Now just think for a moment about how the disciples are listening to this, right? Because I think they know what Jesus means when he says, as I have loved you, you must love one another. Because as they're listening to these words of Jesus, they're listening to these words with freshly washed feet. Moments earlier, Jesus, the Son of God, knelt down before them and humbly washed the dust the dirt, the grime out from between their toes. They walked everywhere. And their feet would have been nasty. And Jesus had served them in such humility. And so they knew what he meant when he instructed them to love one another. He loved with a kind of love that actually puts others' needs ahead of our own. He continues on, verse 35. He says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how people will know that you're my followers is by the way you love one another. And this idea of loving one another, there's tension in that, I find. And... Because the most common response I hear from people within the church when you're talking about something um, or how do you respond to someone, it's like, well, we just need to love them. Well, yes, we do. But can I say to you that there, there's a right and a wrong way to do that? We can disagree with someone's choices, with someone's lifestyle. We cannot we cannot be okay with other people's sin, but we can still love them. Like you can actually, and this is what for me personally, this is this, one of the most frustrating things I experience in the church and in our world. That if I have a different opinion than you about something, then I must hate you. And that can't be further from the truth. 
Like we can actually love someone and disagree with them. We can actually love someone and hate their sin. You can actually do that. I have. Like there's people that are super close to me, super close friends. I do not agree with their lifestyle and the choices that they make. They know that. But here's the thing. They know I love them with a deep love as well. We can't just love someone and be silent because it's saying that you are affirming or you're agreeing with whatever it is that might be going against God's word or coming really short of God's standard. We, that's not the type of love that Jesus is talking about here. We'll just love everyone. Well, yes, we do, but we can also love someone and point them to the truth as well. Unfortunately, our world tells us constantly that if you have a different opinion than me, then you're full of hate. And that couldn't be further from the truth. That's not the type of love that Jesus is talking about, that you can actually love someone and disagree with the choices that they're making. If you're a parent, I'm sure your kids growing up, even as being young adults, they probably made decisions you were definitely not in favor of. Did you stop loving them? Did you hate them? I hope they didn't feel that from you. Because if they did, you're definitely not showing the love of God. I love my girls with a deep love. But I can also express my, my disapproval of choices that they make. But they know I love them. And I will always be there with them. But there's going to be some choices that they make that I just don't agree with for a lot of different reasons. So can we work on that church? This common Christian church answer of, well, it's all about love. Well, it is to a point. But that's not the love that Jesus is talking about here. I want you to pay attention to what he doesn't do here in this moment. He doesn't hand out Jesus fishes. You know that, that Jesus fish that you can slap on the back of of your car or whatever. He's not doing that. He's not handing out bracelets. He says, Here, here's a bracelet, and this is pretty clever. It says WWJD on it to remind you of what I would do. He doesn't do that. He says it's by the way you love. He doesn't say the world will know you by my follow, that you might follow by your moral superiority or your self-righteous indignation. We might think that's the plan at times in the church, but it's not. Jesus said, the world will know you are my followers by the way you love. It's by the way we love each other. So this is going to be this continual theme over the next few months here. We're going to be challenged in this, in this final discourse of Jesus to love each other in a way I think will make all of us have to stretch a little bit in our own lives. Because there's just so much division. There's a lot of built-up tension. There's lots of criticism. And everyone is so sensitive and so defensive. But in the middle of all of that, we have this amazing opportunity to stand out by the way that we love. Not the way that we argue. Not the way we preach. Not the way we vote, not the way we debate, but by the way we love. We live 
in what's often referred to as cancer culture, right? Where shame and guilt seem to rule the day. I'm tired of that. But we are not part of that as the church. We're not part of cancel culture. We're part of the cross culture. And the cross culture, what it does, it cancels out shame and guilt with love and grace. We can demonstrate that, but it takes foot washing for us to do it well. It takes humility. And in verse 36, Peter has this question. And Peter asks him, he says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied to him, he says, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. So take this, take in this scene that's happening. Jesus is in the upper room. He's broken the news that he's going to be leaving. He looks around the room and he can just see that they're all confused. The way forward for them just looks a lot different than they had thought it was or hoped it was going to be. They're scared. They're uncertain. They don't know what they're supposed to do now or even where to go. And Jesus looks around this room and he sees what I often see these days. He sees people who are troubled. And this is where the final discourse begins in chapter 14. In his final words to his faithful followers. So I want to invite you into that upper room now. There's a seat at the table for you there. For all of you who feel overwhelmed and uncertain when you think about the future. For all of you who feel confused and disappointed and discouraged and defeated. For all of you who are troubled, have a seat. Because there are some things that Jesus wants to say to you. He wants to show us the way forward through all of this. So we begin our journey with the words of Jesus. In chapter 14, starting in verse 1, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Hear it personally when he says that to you. When I hear commands like, like that, there's a part of me that immediately says, well, it's not like I want to have a troubled heart, Jesus. Like, I want to have a heart that's at peace. I don't want my heart to be troubled, but it's troubled. But hear these words of Jesus again. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Just repeat that to yourself this coming week. Because we get a lot of other messages that get thrown at us from all these other places throughout our days. Like, for instance, when your phone gives you a news update, remember John 14, 1. Don't let your heart be troubled. Great. Okay. But how? How am I supposed to do that? And I'm guessing the disciples are probably thinking the exact same thing. Great, Jesus. Sounds like a great idea. Don't let your heart be troubled. Okay. How am I supposed to do that? 
Doesn't that mean that Jesus, that you need to change my circumstances so that can happen and solve all of my problems and make things even better so I, so I can actually accomplish, don't let my hearts be troubled? Doesn't it mean that you would say, do not let your hearts be troubled because I'm going to fix it for you? I'm going to promise that everything's now going to be okay from now on. And the road ahead is going to be way more easier. But Jesus doesn't do any of that, does he? Doesn't make them any guarantees about this life. Doesn't make them any guarantees about the road ahead and it being any easier or any difficult. He kind of guarantees it's going to be more difficult than easier, to be honest. And he says this, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. That word believe here is also translated as trust. It's this idea of putting all of your weight onto something. It's this belief is what you put your weight on so that you can actually move forward. What do you put your weight on? Let me give you a visual. Um, Think about crutches or walkers, right? If you're using them, it's probably because you can't put all of your weight on your leg or your foot or something like that. I remember um, back in April, um, before I went down uh, to Augusta to enjoy the Masters with my dad, um, just before that, that weekend before, I played basketball with people I probably shouldn't have been playing basketball with. I really experienced my age. I was playing against people well in, in their early 20s or even younger. And I'm looking at some of these guys, and I'm like, I remember when I, when I could have done that. Um, and I remember at one point during the game, I went to save the ball from going out of bounds, and I rolled my ankle, significantly rolled my ankle. And I could not put weight on that ankle. Continued to play, um, but after that, if you would ask Lisa or other people that saw me, I could barely put my weight on my ankle, on my foot. And the only thing I could think of when that was happening was, how am I going to walk this golf course in Augusta at the Masters? That's a lot of walking. You know, and it's like, well, should I get some crutches so I can take, so I can put my weight on the crutches so I can move forward um, with a little bit more ease? I, my male pride prevented me from doing that. I didn't need it, to be honest. But think about those things, crutches, walkers. The reason we use them is we put our weight on them so we can move forward. This is the belief that Jesus is talking about here. That is what your belief should do. So the question that we really want to think about is this. What are you putting your weight on? What are you putting your weight on? Is it money? Is it relationships? Is it a job? Like, what are you putting your weight on? Like, what are you putting your weight on because you think that's what's going to allow you to move forward in your life? It's going to support your weight so that you can keep moving forward. We don't think that much about a walker or crutches as long as you're healthy, right? As long as everything's going okay, 
as long as you don't have any pulled muscles or rolled ankles, and there's not struggles or challenges, but, but when we find ourselves in a season where the way forward is filled with a lot of uncertainty, and we're just not sure how we're actually going to go forward, that's the time we need to start to think a little bit more about this. Like, what do I really believe in? Like, what do I really believe in? What am I leaning on right now in my life? I remember coming across this article of a psychology professor at Harvard, and he wrote this article called, What You Don't Know Makes You Nervous. He did a bunch of research, and here was his conclusion. He said this. He said, North Americans are smiling less and worrying more than they were a year ago. Happiness is down. Sadness is up. We're getting less sleep, smoking more cigarettes, and depression is on the rise. This was all pre-COVID article. So just imagine how it is post-COVID. He explained that for most people, if you ask them, Well, why is that? Why is that going on? He said most people would say that the reason for all that is economy, is what he said. Most would would attribute all of that to a financial stress and their personal financial situation. But he says, he says, to be clear, it's not about finances. It's not about relationships. He says it's about uncertainty. He talks about this experiment where they separated volunteers into two different groups. And in one group, they were going to receive 20 intense electric shocks. The second group, they're told they're only going to get three of these shocks. And what surprises me is this, how the difficulty we have to try to find volunteers in a church but they didn't have any problem of finding volunteers to get electric shocks on purpose. I don't get it, but there we go. But the difference is this between the two groups. Group one, they said they knew when those 20 shocks were coming. Group two, they don't know when those three shocks are going to happen. And what they determined was this. Those who received three shocks in that second group actually had more psychological pain and more side effects that were suffered. The reason is because they didn't know when it was coming. It wasn't about what was actually happening to them. It was about the uncertainty of what would happen to them and when it would happen. And I just feel... Like that, that's the season we're in right now. This feeling of bracing ourselves for yet another shock. So in this final discourse of Jesus, he's preparing his followers for the shocks that will come. He talks to them directly about the fact that they can actually expect it. So in this message, he gives them two different, he gives them two things that actually seem contradictory. He says, in this world... You will have trouble, and don't let your hearts be troubled. (laughs) You're going to experience trouble, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Essentially, what he's saying is, don't let trouble trouble you, right? 
Don't let uncertainty make you uncertain. Well, how is that even possible, Jesus? You tell me I'm going to experience trouble, but don't be troubled. I know there's going to be uncertainty in my life, but don't, don't allow that to make me uncertain. How is that even possible, Jesus? And the answer is at the end of that first verse. Believe in me. That's how. Jesus says, believe in me. For the disciples, they had been following Jesus everywhere. and They knew they could believe in him, right? They were in the boat when he spoke a word to the storm and the wind and the waves obeyed. They were there when demons cowered in fear at the mention of Jesus' name. They were at the gravesite when Lazarus walked out of his own grave. So they believed in him. So Jesus reminds them, you know me. You can count on me. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But don't let your heart be troubled. In this world, there is a lot of uncertainty. But don't let that make you uncertain. Count on me. Believe in me. Trust in me. Put all your weight on me so you can move forward like that. I know there's a sense in which me saying to you that the solution is just to believe in Jesus. I know there's a sense in which that doesn't necessarily feel satisfying. I know that most of us want to put our weight on something. It's a little more concrete, right? Maybe a little bit more tangible. But if your heart is troubled now, I would just ask you not to throw this away, but to really ask yourself, like really ask yourself, what do I really believe in? Like what do I really believe in? So here's the question, and it's hard to answer but I think it's really worth wrestling with. Do you really believe what you believe? Do you really believe what you believe? Most of us just have a number of beliefs that just kind of feel sincere. I know you believe that you believe it, but that doesn't necessarily mean you really believe it. I'm not trying to make you feel bad with all this. I would say all of us have some beliefs that we actually really don't believe. What's one all of us could probably relate to? Well, most of us would probably say, I believe that a healthy diet is important. I believe that. But if you don't eat a healthy diet, then at some point you're going to have to say, do I actually really believe that? And there's a term for that. It's called incongruent values. Where what it means is where we say we believe something, but we don't align our lives around what we believe. And are you doing that with your faith? Like you say, I believe in Jesus, but do you really believe in Jesus? Does your, li- does your life align around that belief in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, then live it. Live it 
out if you believe it. If you really believe it, live it out. Live like it's true. Let's just ask yourself, do I really believe what I believe? And I'm just telling you, I believe it. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe that God's mercy will rain down to one day lonely and brokenhearted people will experience comfort and peace. I believe that one day there will be no more sorrow or pain or suffering. I believe that His grace is actually sufficient. I believe in Jesus and He gives forgiveness to the guilty and sets free the addicted. I believe His love can soften any heart. I believe Jesus can redeem anything. I believe that there's nothing so broken that he can't make it beautiful. I know there's trouble. I know. But I'm not troubled. I know things are uncertain. But I am certain. I am certain that Jesus can be trusted and that I can put all of my weight on him. Now, to help the disciples not have trouble in their hearts, Jesus first tells them, believe in me. Then in verse 2, before we wrap up, Jesus says this in verse 2. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? So as we begin this final discourse, Jesus says there are two things you need to believe to find peace when you're troubled. You need, to believe, you need to believe who you know. You need to believe in me, in Jesus. And you need to believe where you are going as well. You need to believe in Jesus. And you need to believe and have confidence that he's actually gone to prepare a place for you. Now next week we're going to look at this next section of scripture, particularly John 14.6 where Jesus addresses the question, and I don't even know why I need to address this question, but the, the un, unfortunate reality is I actually have to. And the question is this, is there only one way to heaven? You would think I wouldn't have to address that question, but the, the reality is I do within the church. And I just want to challenge you to take these first words of Jesus And let these words just set the course for your path forward. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Thank you for showing us how we, the way forward. In a world that has so much trouble, and so much fear, and so much uncertainty, that we can believe in you, and that will bring us comfort and peace. That us believing in you, that us putting all the weight on you is the way forward for us. Continue to reveal that to us this coming week. I pray you put a desire in our heart, in the in the depths of our heart of this, of wanting to just to move forward, to stand out 
so people can be impacted by you? Help us with this, Lord. We pray this in your name.